Mr. Addison, one final question before we let you go vote. Do you believe in dinosaurs? Do I believe in a thing called love? Is love a dinosaur? The better question is whether you can love a dinosaur. I don't feel this answers the question, Mr. Addison. Do you or do you not believe in dinosaurs? I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. Pterodactyls? No, Julia. You're alpha-skating. Do you believe or not? Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Mr. Addison, you are angling to be the country's next Prime Minister. Why won't you answer the questions? Dinosaurs, yes or no? Yes. So you do believe in dinosaurs? I believe in Barney the Dinosaur and all the Friends from the Land Before Time series of films, which... uh, I made 14 of those? And each one is historically accurate. Sorry, so you believe in talking dinosaurs? Yes, you don't. You don't believe in the Gospels of Littlefoot, Sarah, Ducky, Petrie and Spike? You doubt the tale of the Tinysauruses and the trip to the mysterious island? I, I, I... I'm I'm just going to go and vote now, and I think you need to think very carefully about your future as a politically and historically literate person. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. Welcome back to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison in Auckland, New Zealand, and in Zhuhai, China. It's Dr. M. Rx Dentith. Are you well? Are you hale and healthy, Dr. Dentith? I am healthier than I've been in the last few weeks. I went to Guangzhou last week in order to vote, and I came back with an astounding head cold. Actually, now technically is the way, I mean, it was last week. It was the beginning of last week, technically the end of the week before. But the moral is, if you go to another city, you will get sick when you mm. exercise your franchise. Exercising your franchise outside of your electorate, very bad for your health. Not, not the COVIDs, though. No, no. I did a COVID test, and it was, in fact, just a bog-standard head cold, which is still a horrible thing to experience. Well, Although, yes, admittedly, never, it was not as pleasant. bad as the time I had COVID. That really was a terrible experience. I never want to get COVID ever again. No, no, I wouldn't recommend it myself. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the moral of the story is uh, democracy wants you dead, and it's not going to stop trying. Well, I mean, that is that is the story of globalization. Mm, mm. So, um, yes, yeah, so, so, so we're, we're a couple of weeks late to this now. We originally intended that we were going to record an episode shortly before the general election in New Zealand, uh, which would probably have been out after the results were known, so we'd be humorously out of date immediately. Uh, but as it turns out, we're now recording after the general election and everyone knows what happened. More or less. Special votes, but you know how that goes. Yeah, so we had an election. We get a preliminary or provisional result. We actually don't get the final result until early November because votes like mine need to be counted. Mm, mm. And so, but nevertheless, there's enough stuff going on with the election that a a summary of it should fill up most of an episode. And... uh, then we'll see what else happens. We also have two weeks' worth of news, which we might save for the bonus content, or we might chuck a little bit in now. I don't know. It's it's anything's possible. Literally, anything is possible right now. Well, I mean, figuratively, anything is possible. Literally, I mean, there are limitations. literally, everything is possible. Okay, fair Hasn't enough. It. I mean, if that, if that's your ontology, I'm willing to go with it. Yep. Uh, but, but I think what's most possible is that we'll play a chime and then start talking about the election. Indeed. In fact, shall we vote on it? I say I. How do you vote? 
I also say aye. Vote to carry. The election continues. And now the election is over. Right, well, a last little bit of, bit of, bit of democracy chaser there. Just to, just to keep us going. So the election that's come and gone, to the surprise of basically no one, I think, the political right got in, the, the, the major left party, Labour, got kicked out quite firmly, quite a, quite a step down from um, the, 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 the government under Jacinda Ardern receiving the highest majority any party has ever got under an MMP system here in New Zealand, to now... Basically, getting getting a small share of the vote, losing a bunch of quite 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 historically for like Labour lost Mount Roskill for God's sake, mostly because of Michael Woods' shenanigans earlier. But but I, I don't like Roskill has never been not Labour as long as I've been alive. I think. And Mount Albert, which has historically been the seat which Labour leaders sit in has gone from a 20,000-vote majority three years ago to what appears to be only a few thousand votes or even only a few hundred votes in it this time around. So there has been quite a significant movement away from Labour, both with respect to the party vote and also with respect to the electorate votes. Mm. And the vote kind of dispersed all over the place, really. The Greens picked up a bunch. The Greens picked up a bunch of electorate seats. Um, yeah, they now have gone Wellington from Central, historically having sake. had one seat to now having three seats, so uh, Wellington Central, Rongatai, and Auckland Central. Mm. Uh, but, but also to New Zealand First, they're back again. Winston Peters literally cannot die. I'm going to keep saying literally about everything. Literally I mean, everything. Actually, so th this is the one thing I think we do agree with with respect to the literal claim. I wouldn't be surprised if on the day that we have our funerals, Winston Peters is announcing yet another run. Yes. New Zealand first will be making for Parliament. Mm. But yes, the major the, the, the major winners, of course, were national, the, the larger, the, the, the main uh, right-wing party here in New Zealand, and their buddies ACT, who are the sort of far-right party, who are usually their, their appendage, although ACT's done fairly well for themselves this time as well. Well, actually, well and yes and no. I mean, they've done better than the last election, so they've actually improved by one seat in the last election. But six weeks ago, ACT was polling almost twice as well as it actually received on election day. So it was in the the high teens six weeks ago. It was, I think, about 9.6% on polling day itself. So ACT on one level looked like it was going to be a really major minor party in a centre-right government, and has only done marginally better than it did in the last election, even though it appears to be the party that spent the most trying to get into power, and also had a private plane donated for campaigning use during its campaign. So the right put a lot of money into ACT, and they actually got very little in return. Mm. Although, again, they, they won a seat that wasn't Epsom, didn't they? They, they, took, they took one off national somewhere. They did, yes. In part mm. because... I mean, in some respects, the reason why the Greens did so well in electorate seats was Labour having bad candidates there. 
And also, there seems to be a general sentiment that Labour deserved to lose this election anyway. But National didn't help itself with its its piss-poor selection of candidates, allowing someone like Van Halden to basically sweep into Act's second electoral seat. Mm. And then, of course, New Zealand first. So if you're not familiar with the history of elections in New Zealand... Winston Peters is a is, is very much the, the 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 populist party, I guess. He's a little bit left. He's a little bit right. He's whatever will get him the most votes at any or, or at least the most attention at any time, and that has led to several occasions where neither the right wing parties nor the left wing parties have quite enough votes to govern, which means New Zealand First gets to be the position of kingmaker, where whichever side they go with, which could be either, will end up being the party in power. Now, it's not possible this time, is it? Even even Green, Labour and the Greens and New Zealand First couldn't do it, I believe. But also, but... Winston ruled out working with the Labour Party sometime last year. Although, as my mother pointed out when I spoke to her last post the election, you don't ever trust Indeed, anything Winston things, says yes. during a campaign versus after a campaign. But Chris Hipkins, the former PM and leader of the Labour Party, ruled out ever working with Winston Peters ever again, which then led to a really interesting situation. So historically, political leaders have ruled out working with Winston in the past. So John Key ruled out working with Winston during his tenure as PM. Chris Hipkins ruled out working with Winston during his tenure as PM. This then put a lot of pressure on Christopher Luxon to say, what is the National Party's position on working with Winston Peters and New Zealand First? And arguably, one of the reasons why National's vote went down and New Zealand First vote went up is that Luxon, for a long time, wouldn't answer that question by saying, well, you know, New Zealand First isn't currently a viable party for us to have negotiations with, so he wasn't ruling them in or ruling them out. And then as they got closer to the election and New Zealand First looked like it was creeping up in the polls, Luxon said, oh, you know, I would work with Winston Peters, which then led to New Zealand First getting a massive boost in the polls. And then he said he didn't want to work with Winston Peters. And then he said he would reluctantly work with Winston Peters. And then when he was asked, what do you think of Winston Peters' policy? He said, well, I don't even really know who Winston Peters is which people are pointing out, if you want to be the next Prime Minister, surely knowing a little bit about previous coalition governments involving New Zealand First would be a very good idea, because New Zealand First tends to work against the government they're in coalition with, rather than with it. Yes, yes, people have have talked about having... uh what is it, rather than having Winston Peters outside the tent pissing in, they have him inside the tent pissing in. So he, yeah, and usually there's a cycle of Winston Peters gets to be kingmaker, chooses the government, uh, makes a lot of fuss. Everybody realises that all the various other MPs from his party who aren't Winston Peters are a bunch of nutcases, and they get absolutely destroyed and kicked out of Parliament at the next election. And then the one after that, people are like, oh, that wacky Winston Peters, he'll 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 keep the keep keep the keep the bastards honest. He'll he'll do the stuff that that we project on the other politicians who aren't in at the moment because we think voting for change will magically make everything want to happen happen but 
Yes, so I, I don't know. It looks like they'll have to make nice, but um, at the very least act in New Zealand first. Uh, not bosom buddies, I think it would be fair to say. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting for a national-led government because at this stage, given what we know about how special votes work, when the final result gets delivered in early November, it's very likely that National and ACT will not have a governing majority, at which point they will need New Zealand first in coalition or at least in confidence and supply if they want to get anything done. And ACT doesn't like New Zealand first, and New Zealand first doesn't like ACT. In fact, the leaders of those two parties, David Seymour, leader of ACT, and Winston Peters, New Zealand first leader, they really, really despise each other. Mm, yes, so th- th- there may be some, um, some, some, some amusement, a small amount of schadenfreude for those on the left, but uh, probably not enough to make up for the fact that they are not in power. Now... That's that's all very interesting. A uh, little little recap. If you're listening from New Zealand, I don't think we told you anything you don't already know. And if you're not, well, well, that's a little an interesting look into the uh, party politics over here. But but not exceptionally conspiratorial, unless you count the potential uh, backroom dealings that may happen in in, in getting a, a national act New Zealand first um, coalition working together. But um, things things did get a bit more a bit more conspiratorial in the lead up to the election. When we look at the minor parties, um, especially as we say, New Zealand First is led by Winston Peters, and as far as most people are concerned, New Zealand First is Winston Peters. Uh, but New Zealand First usually gets enough of the vote that Winston Peters and a bunch of his other. Um, candidates get into parliament, uh, which often is the first time anyone is exposed to them, and and sometimes that can be a little bit of a shock. Uh, so in the case of both New Zealand First and ACT, which is largely the same, I, I, I personally could not name anyone other than David Seymour, who's an ACT MP, including the one who just won a seat off of National. Um, and so... Brooke Van Helden. Brooke Van Helden. Okay, now I know the names of two ACT MPs. <clears throat> I mean, she she was the architect of our euthanasia bill. Oh, okay. But or the, I think they called it the dying with dignity bill. Yes. But um, in, in the lead up to the election, some people in the press did start combing through the various uh, lists from from the various parties and finding um, finding some interesting characters in there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, ACT in particular turned out to have quite a lot of candidates who expressed conspiratorial views about, say, COVID, vaccines, or the Labour government, which would then lead to journalists asking the leader of ACT, David Seymour, what's going on with your candidate selection processes, which then led to David Seymour getting very, very angry that people were asking questions about the candidate selection processes, because as soon as these comments came to light, they would force those candidates out. And as people pointed out, David Seymour seemed to be getting annoyed that journalists were exposing his candidates, because somehow he would have found out about it naturally and expelled them after they were selected in the first instance. Yes, very strange. Act in particular, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I did not pay a lot of attention to this election. The The actual result seemed to be a foregone conclusion. I mean, I voted, of course. I went and did my civic duty, but there didn't really seem to be um, much, much question into what was going to happen. So I wasn't really paying a heck of a lot of attention. I did see, though, 
what 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 headlines did pop up um, for me were act, did seem to be going in on the in on the the American style culture wars bullshit, which we don't have so much of here. I mean, COVID was kind of the what 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 really jump started it here a bit. But act there seemed to be a bit of I'm, I'm sure act had something to do. I, I, I saw sort of your, your anti trans stuff that we've been seeing overseas a little bit. And um, David Seymour in particular, I, 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 I say without a word of a lie, there's, there's the, the, the tendency for people to use the word politics to just mean opinions I don't agree with when they're saying, oh, why, why, why do you have to bring politics into this? Why do you get polit-? David David Seymour accused people of making things political in a political campaign. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, even understand how that is supposed to work, but um, yeah, there, there was there was sort of some of that style to it, and then um, in the, the those are the Act in New Zealand first are the major minor parties, but the minor minor parties um, were the notable ones, at least were those founded basically um, following the COVID anti-vaccination uh, culture war stuff. That cropped up here. No, just um, to in, in, interject here. So there's one thing to note about ACT. ACT have actually been doing the culture war stuff for a while. So under Rodney Hyde and also under John Banks, two of their previous leaders, they would, during election campaigns, try to accuse the government, whether it be national or Labour, of engaging in socialist or communist policies which is basically straight out of the American right playbook, where if you label something as being socialist or communist, people go, oh, we can't have that, that's bad. And as people pointed out to Hyde and Banks at the time, that kind of pejorative framing doesn't really work particularly well. And I'll We're not afraid of the word socialist here, no. No. We're so afraid of the word tax, seem to think, but we're not afraid yeah. of the word socialist. So they seem to think that they could win debates by labelling their opponents as being socialists. And the socialists would go, yeah, we are, and we're going to explain to you now why being socialist is good. So they've been doing this for a while, but yes, the the trans stuff they brought in and their particular ex-particular pivot towards their racial equality stuff, which is basically getting rid of any ministry that's going to help marginalised or oppressed minorities back home. That's relatively new and is quite disturbing. Yes, and I should possibly clarify, before I said they were the major minor parties, they're the major minor right-wing parties. We, of course, have the Green Party and Te Party Māori, the Māori Party, um, whose candidates appear to be less um, wildly insane, or, or, or at least if they are, are better at hiding it. Yeah. But, now, admittedly, we do have to put our bona fides out. We're both green voters, and I yeah. suspect we're also both sympathetic towards the party Māori, even though if we're not voting for that particular party. So, of course, we are going to think very highly of the candidates from our side of the aisle versus those of the other. But it is also interesting that whilst there were lots of news reports about scandals about New Zealand First candidates and ACT Party candidates, there really weren't any scandalous stories this time around about the Greens or Te Party Māori. No, it was the Labour MPs who took up, uh, took up all of that space on the left. But, and um, mostly Labour ministers who were ooh. engaging in the kind of behaviour that actually does lead to populations going, maybe you shouldn't be governing the country anymore. 
Mm. But uh, move, moving to the little, the, 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 the minnows of the uh, New Zealand electorate, we have parties like Freedom's New Zealand Party. Now, this might not, this, this, this doesn't quite um, uh, resonate perhaps so much with people outside of New Zealand, but Freedom, we've said this before on the podcast, that it's been suggested that the difference in character, one of the key differences in the character between New Zealand and America is that in America, the fundamental value is freedom, and in New Zealand, the fundamental value is fairness, which isn't to say that neither of us value the other. It's just uh, New Zealanders will tolerate a, a curtailing of our freedom in the name of making everything fairer, and Americans will tolerate a loss of fairness in uh, the name of of, of maximising their freedoms, obviously, is a, a, a massive generalisation. But the idea of of freedom and, and and going on about freedom all the time and everything being about freedom, I think, is seen here as being a very American thing to do. And that was one of the things that did seem to transfer across in the whole culture wars business. Um, when when the COVID lockdown started, um, I, I'm sure I must have said this at the time. The thing I found so annoying about the the, the rhetoric of the anti-COVID crowd here in New Zealand was that it was just all all copied, just just cut and pasted from the stuff you'd hear from America, and in particular this emphasis on freedoms, freedoms all the time, freedoms. Uh, so when you have so when uh, following on from this. Um, Bishop, quote unquote, Bishop Brian Tamaki founded the Freedoms New Zealand Party. Um, it was quite clear that he was still still on that kick. Um, now, uh, I, I say B Bishop Brian Tamaki, if you're not familiar, is the head of the Destiny Church here in New Zealand, which is, uh, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised given that it is the, very much the American style of evangelical sort of What's what's that style called? Where it's basically all just about making lots of money for the guys. Pentecostal. Pentecostal. Oh no, prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. There we go. Yeah. Um, now, they they, they um, came from uh, an explicitly conspiratorial position, and I assume their policies—not that I have any idea what they actually were—were um, were a fair bit of the of the sort of anti-vaxxie and inquests into COVID stuff, but they were also very much a religious party. And we've always had uh, religious parties. Christian Heritage Party was around for a long time, things like that. They never do super well, but I'm not... I, I didn't hear much myself about the Freedoms New Zealand Party, and they didn't really get many votes. So what are you going to do? No, they did not get many votes at all, which has got Bishop Brian Tamaki very, very angry. I was going to try to slip in a Judd Reinhold joke in here by saying that Judd Reinhold is not a real judge, but his real first name is, is Judge. Whilst mm. Bishop Brian Tamaki is ni neither a bishop nor has taken the, the stance of adopting bishop as a first name because you're not allowed to do that in our country. You can't call someone mm. by a title in our country, even though you can in the UK. So you can call your child King Charles in the UK, but you can't do it back home in Aotearoa, New Zealand, unless mm. you sneak it in by calling your child Kingy, but that's another matter entirely. But no, Bishop Brian Tamaki thought that the Christians would rally around his party and is now very angry that they only got 
20,000 votes or so. And that's largely because the Christian vote is very much just tied in to the major parties. Certain Catholics vote Labour, certain Catholics vote National. The Christian vote is not taken to be a kind of deciding factor as to which party you vote for. The Christian vote is very much demarcated along class lines, and particular classes of people vote National, and particular classes of people vote Labour. So every time a religious party forms in the country and just assumes that our religious polarity is going to vote for them, turns out actually religion is not a motivating factor in most ordinary people's lives back home. Mm. But as for the secular conspiracist party, we have NZ Loyal. So this is the party that was headed by Liz Gunn. Did she actually set it up? She did, yes. She is the party leader. She is. So Liz Gunn is a former newsreader um, here in New Zealand, who then went. I think she was also a a investigative journalist Mm. at one point as well. Yeah. She was someone on the news, anyway. I know, I know that much, uh, but went 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 hardcore anti-vaxxer um, during COVID, um, and uh, and 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 uh, what did she? She was in court. What did she do? She was she tried to go somewhere in the Auckland airport where she wasn't allowed to go, or something like that, and got into some sort of altercation with security. I can't remember the exact details, but she's just been in court over that. Um, but she, uh, so her, her party was was very definitely the, um, the 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 anti-vaxxer party. Now she made this crack about expecting to get two million votes. I should point out the population, the voting population of New Zealand is about three and a bit million, I think. Now she said she was joking, and I think we could probably take her at her word for that. I don't think she's delusional enough to have thought she was actually going to get two million votes. I think it was just a lighthearted thing. As it turns out, she got about 22,000 votes, about the same as Freedom's New Zealand party. But, um, they, they've been insinuating that they were conspired against, were they? Yes. So New Zealand Loyal had a particular problem going into the election and that I think they had three candidates and no party list. And New Zealand Loyal claimed that they had supplied the Electoral Commission with all of the documentation required for their three candidates in electorate seats and the party list itself. And the Electoral Commission went, no, you you put in the information on the wrong day, which meant you submitted the party list after closing of the date you're meant, to, uh, you're meant to submit the party list, and therefore you cannot have a party list. And initially Liz Gunn was claiming, oh, this is the Electoral Commission. They've, they've, they've tricked us to make sure we submit our information at the wrong time so that people can't vote for us and thus we're not going to be able to have members in the New Zealand Parliament. Because even if she was joking about getting 2 million votes, she was of the firm opinion that New Zealand Loyal would get well over the 5% threshold and thus have party MPs in the New Zealand Parliament. And so they, they, they went to court. They basically took the Electoral Commission to court by claiming that the instructions that their party secretary were given were not up to the task, 
that the interpretation the Electoral Commission had about submission dates was not consistent with New Zealand law, and some claim that by not amending the party list upon request, this was robbing people of the ability to vote for New Zealand Loyal, which was a contravention of the Bill of Rights. And this this went through the courts in time before the election because it was decided that this should be dealt with as quickly as possible to ensure that there wasn't going to be any disparity in the vote. And they lost on all three counts. So the Electoral Commission pointed out that the party secretary was constantly sending them emails thanking them for their help throughout the process. So if the party secretary felt that she did not have enough information, she never indicated that to the Electoral Commission at any particular point in time. They also pointed out that it is the party rather than the Electoral Commission who haven't interpreted the law appropriately about submission dates. The Electoral Act is very, very clear as to when things need to be submitted at particular times. And also the fact that the party secretary didn't supply the information at the right time is the reason why if there were party votes cast for New Zealand loyal, it wouldn't mean anything. It was their thing to solve rather than the Electoral Commission to solve. And the big takeaway from this was the courts pointing out that the Electoral Act is an act of Parliament and is not something which the courts have the jurisdiction to interpret. It's laid down by Parliament exactly how the Commission works, and the courts shouldn't be interpreting that because it would actually cause a very messy situation in future elections if the courts are able to arbitrarily decide that the Electoral Commission isn't the final arbiter of exactly what goes on with preparing for and running elections. Mm. So for all they might darkly insinuate that the Electoral Commission had it in for them, that does not actually appear to be the case. Now, uh, they also were involved with Voices for Freedom, which, uh, remind me again, which which, which of the groups of, of um, nutcases in New Zealand are Voices for so Freedom? Voices for Freedom were the wellness people who got involved with the Plan B people. And during the lockdowns, we're running a whole bunch of protests around the lockdowns and the like. So Voices for Freedom were a fairly, well, appeared to be a fairly major power during the COVID lockdowns we had back home. And then they made a punt at the local elections, which we had last year, and they didn't do particularly well. And they had a punt at the general election this year by throwing their weight behind parties like New Zealand Loyal. And I think to a lesser extent, Freedom's New Zealand, but I think Bishop Brian Tamaki and Voices for Freedom ended up getting offside due to different ideological views and metaphysical views. The thing which was interesting about Voices for Freedom is that they wanted their members to become election scrutineers, so i.e. people at polling booths involved in the election, because they were fairly sure they were going to be able to find vote stealing going on during this election. So they they were predicting that votes were going to be stolen. 
stolen, largely coming out of the right-wing playbook once again in the United States. As far as I'm aware, they weren't very successful in getting involved in the elections, in part because the Electoral Commission does this in a very professional way and does quite a lot of background checking with respect to people who are going to be involved in counting votes. Because if you're going to be involved in counting votes, you actually need to at least have the appearance of being politically neutral during a campaign. Because you, what you don't want is an electoral commission which is being accused of politicising the running of an election. Mm. Yes, I, I forget what the exact rules are. Each, each party is allowed one observer at each polling booth, aren't they? But the fact is there are hundreds, I think, of polling booths across all of the electorate. But basically in New Zealand on election day, which is always a Saturday, every primary school, church, public hall, just anywhere where there's a large space that people can get into becomes a polling booth. Um, so if you actually wanted to canvas all of them, um, you'd, you'd probably need more scrutineers than, than, than at least uh, New Zealand Loyal has voters. So it probably wasn't going to work out. So that was um, that was that was some of the interesting one. But now there was one 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 thing going on with the major parties. Chris Luxon, leader of the National Party, our next prime minister, prime minister elect. I mean, he's prime yeah. minister in all but name. Yeah. So there was there was a thing. I I I, I kind of missed this a little bit. I caught the tail end of it. But apparently there was a question as to whether or not Chris Luxon believes in dinosaurs. Now, this this was one of those... It was a comedian who asked him. It was clearly a jokey thing. But then it was one of those things that people started talking about a little bit, almost as though it wasn't a joke and was maybe a, 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 a relevant thing that might colour our perception of Chris Luxon. Was it as someone who I assume followed this slightly more than I did, meant to be a statement on the idea that he's possibly so, such a fundamentalist Christian, he doesn't believe in dinosaurs, or was it a statement on the fact that he never gave a straight answer to most of the questions during this electorate campaign? So the rumour was going around that when Christopher Luxon was CEO of Air New Zealand, he nixed an advert that made a reference to dinosaurs in Aotearoa's distant past because he is a fundamentalist Christian who doesn't believe in evolution by natural selection. So that was the rumour. So the comedian question, Tim, Tim, what's Tim's last name? I thought it was Guy Williams. Or did he follow oh, up sorry. later? Yes, Guy Williams. Yeah, no, actually, no, maybe it was Guy Williams. Maybe I'm just thinking of a different Tim now. Maybe I'm just thinking of Tim. Mm. Uh, but so Guy, so Guy Williams found out about this rumour, so asked Christopher Luxon at a press event directly, do you believe in dinosaurs? And Christopher Luxon would not answer the question, which, of course, suddenly lent credence to the theory that maybe he doesn't believe in dinosaurs. Then... To make things possibly slightly worse in our taking the piss culture back home, Christopher Luxon went on to form a Twitter and said, yes, of course I believe in dinosaurs. I believe in the tax reliefosaurus, a species of dinosaur that hasn't been seen for quite some time. And people were pointing out that's, that's A, that's not a dinosaur, and B, that once again isn't really asking the, answering the question. 
So at no point did Chris Luxon ever answer the question, does he believe in dinosaurs? When he was asked on Breakfast TV, uh, he said, oh, you're not going to bring up this dinosaur question thing and rolled his eyes. So there's still an open question, it seems. Does Chris Luxon believe in dinosaurs? Now, this then led to certain right-wing commentators being very annoyed that people were making fun of potentially the next prime minister as all this went on before the election. Uh, and, you know, taking the piss about these things. And this was comments from right-wing commentators who always accused the left of not being able to understand a joke, such as when, say, leader of the ACT Party, David Seymour, threatened to blow up a ministry building. It's obviously a joke. The left are taking it far too seriously. But as soon as people started making fun of Chris Luxon, apparently that was going too far. Yes, I don't know. I... On, on the internet, at least, people always tend to tend to go a bit overboard with their hyperbole, um, and and take any any little flub by a minister on, on on either side and try to turn it into a giant thing. Remember that time, John Key, and obviously this is not a good. What was, what was the business with the shirt? He talked about wearing a gay red shirt or a gay pink shirt or something. Described a brightly coloured shirt as gay, which which obviously yeah, not um. Not, not, not great. But any time anyone mentioned a shirt thereafter for a little while, you'd get someone, someone on on the left on Twitter go, "Oh, it's not a gay shirt. Oh, look, oh, I'm wearing a shirt. Hope it's not, a, it's not a gay shirt. John Key won't like me or something." People do jump on anything, but yes, both sides do it. So just deal. So that's um, that's the election, uh, more or less, as you say, the special votes now. <clears throat> The special votes are the votes that people such as yourself cast um, not in their election. You, you can do a special vote um, just just if you happen to be in a different part of your city that isn't your voting electorate. Um, so anyone can cast a, a special vote if they want to, but it's easier to just vote in your electorate. Um, but they all have to be counted up later, and historically they swing left. Um, so last election, my electorate, Maunikekia, uh, went Labour, uh, went national on the night by a very slim margin, and then actually went to the Labour Party once all the special votes had been counted. Of course, this th this election, what had been a very slim uh, Labour victory, turned into a gigantic national victory. But that's uh, that's part of the course. They never. I, I remember in the US election they tried to run a thing knowing that the votes tend, the left votes tend to come in later. I remember Trump wanting to have some sort of a strategy where, where you know, they're in the front at first and they'd make a big deal about that and then as the votes would swing left, they'd say, oh, look, they're stealing the election off us. But um, I don't, I, I think everybody knows the deal with the special votes here. So even when there is a bit of a leftward yeah, swing, except I don't think that anyone... David Seymour has been complaining about the special votes. So he's he ha has made the claim that the special votes only swing left because left-wing voters are too lazy to vote in their own electorates. So he's trying to make some kind of claim that we should be dismissive of special votes because left-wing voters are mostly lazy voters. So he's not saying we shouldn't count those votes, but is the kind of thing of saying, oh, you know, those votes aren't serious votes. If these people were serious voters, they would make sure they voted in their actual electorates. Mm. Yes, so I don't know. So in, in, it'll be a couple of weeks until we have the final definite, definite results, but I can't imagine there, there aren't enough special votes coming in, I think, to actually swing the results of the election. There just might 
<clears throat> there just might be uh, one, you know, a seat or two going one way or another, which, due to the, the the complications around minor parties and things, may end up with 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 what is known as an overhang, ending up in um, we'll ha- end up having a couple of extra seats in Parliament, maybe, but uh, I think that's as severe as it's going to be. And uh, that's our national national election. Do we want to talk about Australia? That seems even more well, depressing. I mean, it's it's worth noting. So Australia also held a referendum at the same time that we held our general election. This referendum was called The Voice, about whether Australia should have a voice to parliament representation of the Aboriginal people or people of the Dreamtime in the Australian parliament. And Australians voted majority no. They voted for more racism rather than less racism within the Australian system. And people like David Seymour are celebrating this result. So the leader of the ACT Party is celebrating the result in Australia because he wants to have a referendum on our foundational constitutional document, the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Tariti Waitangi, because he would like to kind of get rid of what he takes to be the left-wing, wokest interpretation of the treaty and bring in something which is more about libertarian property rights as well. So the voice vote in Australia is kind of salient to what might happen in the next electoral turn because ACT have said that a bottom line for coalition negotiations with National is a referendum on the role of the treaty in New Zealand. Mm. Now, it should be said, we basically already have this sort of system that Australia just voted not to put in. We have Maori electorates, we have Maori wards for uh, local politics and what have you. Um, and yes, you always get you always get complaints about that from the, from the ACT types. But, um, yeah, the, the, this idea of a referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi itself, I think some people have sort of said, well, it just couldn't even actually work because even if you question it on a constitutional basis, there's decades and decades of, of, of legal precedent of how it's been treated. Um, and also, like, it, I, I don't know if this is an oversimplification. It would be like Brexit for New Zealand, uh, that, that that sort of a thing, which if the people who who wanted it got their way, would probably screw up the country in a major way, and we don't think Chris Luxon is silly enough to countenance that. From what I've yeah, what he I've has seen. made the claim. He thinks it would be a divisive thing to do, so he wants to rule it out. Mm. I think a lot of this will depend on what New Zealand First attitude towards this is. Now, New Zealand First is in a weird situation in that its leader, Winston Peters, is Māori, and yet he's probably also charitably described as one of the more racially prejudiced politicians we have in Aotearoa, including quite severe anti-Māori prejudice on lots of issues. Yes, I don't know. That'll be fun. Now... There's one other thing here. I see you wanted to talk about the lobbyist pipeline. Now, I assume this is some sort of a um, infrastructural issue we have where we're pumping lobbyists um, into our country from overseas to to, to to make up some sort of a, a local surfeit of 
of, of lobbyists? Do we do we import them as some sort of slurry through a pipe and then form them into lobbyists in our in, in our country and send them on their way? I mean, I've always thought that's how lobbyists are formed, but actually it turns out many of them are former government ministers who, once they stop being ministers, just go on to become lobbyists with no stand-down period whatsoever. And Aotearoa is actually fairly unique in Western nations by not having a stand-down period between being an MP and being able to take up lobbying work when you're lobbying on behalf of private clients to the government. And this has become quite stark because two disgraced ministers from the previous Labour administration, Stuart Nash and Kerry Allen, have both indicated that they're about to become lobbyists. So immediately after the election, two former government ministers are now going to be lobbying the new government on behalf of corporations and private citizens. And the country as a whole needs to have a discussion about the minister or activist to lobbyist pipeline, especially since Kerry Allen, who was justice minister in the previous administration, was involved in looking into a bill putting forward a stand-down period between being in parliament and becoming a lobbyist, a bill that she did not advance during her time as as Justice Minister, which does seem ever so slightly like a conflict of interest in retrospect. It does a little bit, yes. So that's, yeah, possibly more of a developing issue. We might have to keep an eye on that, but definitely dodgy and um, and and not a little bit conspiratorial, so it's okay for us to be talking about it now. Well, precisely. Mm. So, I think we've filled up an episode's worth just talking about the election, which means we have a bumper crop of fun for our bonus episode that we're going to record for our patrons uh, just shortly. So we've we've got to catch you up on a bunch of stuff that's, um, that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Tupac Shakur, must have heard about him, um, investor, uh, uh, developments there. Some interesting stuff around um, Yevgeny Prigozhin and his plane crash. Interesting, possibly in inverted commas there. Tom DeLong's up to his usual, uh, his usual malarkey. And, uh, and and I know your favourite. We've got a sports conspiracy, a local New Zealand well, you know, sports I'm conspiracy. All about, I'm all about the sports. Games sports. of two halves with best sides winning. Sports and nothing but. So we're going to talk about all that uh, in a little bit. But um, but right now we're going to stop talking about the election because I, 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 I frankly would be quite happy to never hear about it again. But um, I expect we're going to. Three more years, Josh. Three more years. Three more years. Yeah, most likely. Ah, well, with that, um, with that, with that delightful prospect uh, echoing in my brain, all I can find the strength to do is say goodbye. 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 The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M R X Denter. Our show's conspiracy. Sorry, producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara.